0: How do you build a ship? You could drop some plans. You could find a bunch of people to gather wood. You could hand out some tools, you could divide up the work. You could bark out orders all day long. And you may get a ship that way. Or, you could inspire those same people to long for the vast and endless sea. I bet you'd never have a problem getting that ship built. What's up, UX fam? How's your mom and them? Welcome to another episode of Beyond UX Design. I'm Jeremy. If you're new here, welcome. I'm super stoked you're here. And if you haven't done it already, consider liking or subscribing or following the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you are a regular here and you feel like you're getting something out of the show, I would really appreciate you leaving a five-star review to feed that algorithm. That'll help me out way more than you know. And of course, if you think this show is worth sharing, then I would love it if you told some friends. All that ship talk a moment ago was a quote by a French author from the 40s, Antoine de Saint-Exupery. And here's the exact quote. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. I love this quote. And if you've listened to this show, or if you've listened to my other show, Retro Time, you've heard me talk about this quote maybe a million times, and I don't care. I'll never stop. I absolutely love this quote. And I love this quote because as UX professionals, it just speaks to one of the major challenges that we seem to run into time and time again. We spend all that time doing research. We spend all that time designing the most beautiful thing. And we, we spec it out perfectly. We account for everything. We do our handoff with the engineering team and... For one reason or another, the final product doesn't look anything like what we designed. Why? Well, the chances are good we didn't tell a compelling story for why we designed what we designed. The engineering team was focused on their goal. The QA team was focused on their goal. And nobody cared about what the UX team's goal was because we didn't inspire them to care. Remember that no one on the team owns the entire product life cycle. I know a lot of times UX teams tend to self-aggrandize. We think we're the center of the entire product life cycle, that everyone should just listen to us because we're the UX team and we know what's best for users. And I'm sorry to break it to you all out there, but nobody gives a shit about the UX team and what we think. They really don't. They're all concerned with their own goals and their own priorities and their own timelines. They have to get their work in on time. They have to get that release out when they said they would. They have tons of bugs to fix. And they have to make sure that component they built met all the acceptance criteria. So how do we get a team full of product managers, engineers, executives, stakeholders, or whoever to care about the things that we care about? Well, I think we need to tell a compelling story. We need to put our users at the center of that story. And we need the entire team to understand their pain points. We need the entire team to empathize with all the bullshit that the users have to deal with every day. And we need our team to understand that this beautiful prototype that we put together, you know, the one that scored really well in all our usability studies and the ones that we spec'd out perfectly, is really important for our users because it will help solve their problems. So what happens when we fail to tell a compelling story? Well, nobody gives a damn. (laughs) Well, that's not entirely true. They will give a damn about the things that are important to them but they won't care about the things that are important to us. And what happens when we don't tell a compelling story is we end up with developers ignoring things that the UX team says. They don't take the users into account. They don't include the UX team in conversations, not because they hate the UX team, but because that's just one more thing for them to worry about and engineers don't need any more things to worry about. And what happens when we don't tell a compelling story is really it's just more of the bare minimum. It's more of the status quo. Our team just won't be excited, they won't be curious, they won't have refreshing ideas because all they will know will be what's written in the user story for them to build. It's just more functions, more adjacent objects, more back-end calls, and for what? Why is this necessary? They won't have any idea. But what happens when we tell a compelling story? Telling a really great story simplifies complex problems into digestible chunks. It gives the team a shared understanding of what is likely already a really complex problem. Telling compelling stories adds context. It makes our users relatable. It builds empathy. It inspires our teams to want to build really great software, not just because they want to build great software, but because they care enough about the users and their pain points to want to solve these problems along with us. And what I've also witnessed firsthand is that when you build this empathy and you give the context and you create a shared understanding, the teams start to get inspired and motivated on their own. And they start to come up with awesome ideas on their own, ideas that you may have never thought about, different ways to use technology that as a UX designer, you may have never really thought was possible. And this empathy and this excitement, it's contagious, it spreads The engineering and the product teams, they bring this along with them when they talk about their work with other teams or when they onboard new team members. It's really something beautiful to see. So I wanna preface this by saying that all of this takes practice. This isn't something a lot of people are just good at right away. Telling a great story is a skill just like any other skill. And you practice it over and over and over time, you will find that you are getting better and better. So think about some of the best stories That have come out in the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years. And I'm willing to bet Pixar comes to mind. Toy Story, up, cars. I've got kids, and honestly, when they wanna watch some of these movies, I am down. So at some point, somebody at Pixar wrote down 22 points to tell a great story. But I found an article a while back by a guy named Brian Peters that simplifies this longer list down to only six points. And I don't think they were writing this for designers, but when I found this, I thought, oh man, this is perfect for us. So here's what Brian came up with. Great stories are universal. Great stories have a character to root for. Great stories appeal to our deepest emotions. Great stories are surprising and unexpected. Great stories are simple and focused. Great stories have a structure and a purpose. Let's talk about the first one. Great stories are universal. What's something that your users deal with that we can all relate to. And even if you're working on enterprise software with really complex or unique problems, there is something there that everybody deals with. Stressful situations, manual data entry, repetitive tasks for no reason, systems that don't talk to each other, communication problems, whatever it is, there is for sure something that you can pull out for your team to relate to. Great stories have a character to root for. So everybody loves an underdog story And we're in luck because we've already created a bunch of underdogs with problems that need solving. Our personas. This is where your personas can come in. Talk about them as if they're real. Talk about their pain points and their problems. Talk about their struggles. Make the personas relatable to your audience. Explain the problems that your personas are facing in a way that makes us want to improve their experience. Great stories appeal to our deepest emotions. Pull at your audience's heartstrings. Use your audience's emotions to tell a compelling story, whether that's anger, disgust, fear, happiness, sadness, or surprise. Here it's important to know your audience and and what they care about. If that's not possible, go with your gut and what speaks to you. Fall back on your empathy maps here and make the audience feel for those personas that we created. Great stories are surprising and unexpected. Think outside of the box. Make us think differently about the problem or the solution. Turn your constraint into an opportunity. And if you can, try to flip some of these story tropes on their head. Use your unique design solutions to wow your audience and, and hopefully get them to think, oh, I hadn't thought of that. I think a lot about iPhone's new Dynamic Island feature here. A few years ago when the iPhone came out with the notch, everybody hated the notch. Just a few months ago, iPhone released the Dynamic Island feature. And guess what? That notch is still there. Those engineers and the design team, they figured out how to take what was at one point a constraint flip it on its head, and turn it into a feature. And now everybody wants the dynamic island. That notch never went away. It's still there. But Apple figured out how to take that constraint and turn it into a feature. I think that's pretty impressive. Next, great stories are simple and focused. And you may have noticed, I like to talk a lot. And it's hard for me to know when to stop sometimes. But this is key. Tell the story. Keep it simple. Share as much as you need to. Let your audience ask questions if they have any. Don't try to overexplain here. The chances are good that your audience is smart. They will figure it out. And remember that the point of this isn't to fill in every single knowledge gap or explain every feature. It's to tell us a compelling story and to get your team to want to explore more. It's not to explain every element in detail. So make an outline and stick to it. And while it's fine to improvise, don't go too far off script. Practice telling your story in front of other people for clarity and ask them what they think. Next, great stories have a structure and a purpose. And the article that I referenced uses a storytelling tool created by a playwright named Ken Adams. It's called A Story Spine. And Pixar and Disney specifically, I think, have used this technique, and you're probably pretty familiar with it. Once upon a time, there was something. And every day, something happened. And one day, something happened. And because of that, something happened until finally, something happened. And then ever since then, something. Now, this isn't meant to be an outline. This isn't exactly how you tell the story, but this will help you take your ideas, get them down on paper, and then you can expand upon that. So this isn't how you tell the story. This is more coming up with the story. Great stories have a purpose. and When you understand why this story is so important to tell, your passion will shine through. And if you care that much about your story, the chances are good that your audience will care too. So make your audience understand why this thing is so important. What about this story inspires you, right? What is the thing that you are most passionate about? And if you're passionate about something, I promise that this will shine through when you tell it. And I often think about Simon Sinek's quote here, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. I think that's really important to remember here. Don't try to sell the what. Of the feature, don't try to sell the what of the thing that you're building, but explain why it's so important and why it will have an impact. So, let's try to put this into a real life scenario. I'm going to use an example from some stuff that I've worked on in the past at my job to give you an idea of how this might work with your team. So, I'm going to tell you a story about Frank. Down in McAllen, Texas, there's a guy named Frank. Frank has been an inspector at a jet engine component repair shop. For the last 20 years. Frank got a job there right out of high school. He started working the third shift, that really bad shift that nobody wants, and he eventually worked his way up to be a lead inspector. And now Frank leads an entire team. And for the last 20 years, Frank has spent his eight-hour shift every single day inspecting parts for some of the most advanced jet engines in the entire world. Frank is really good at his job, and his team is really good at their jobs. And there's a good chance that if you've flown a commercial airline, Frank or somebody from Frank's team has inspected and repaired some of the parts in that engine that brought you home safely. But there's something else I want you to know about Frank. Frank loves Harley-Davidson's. And in fact, he and his wife hop on their Harley every Friday after Frank's shift is over, and they drive up to San Antonio to see his son, and they catch a UT San Antonio football game. It's one of Frank's favorite things. Now, the problem for Frank and his team is that because of COVID, his company had to lay off half of the staff at his shop. So Frank lost half his team. As corporations tend to do, each week Frank and his team are still expected to inspect and repair the same number of components as before, with less people. And since Frank has half the staff, that means Frank and his team have twice the amount of work. So that means extra overtime, which ultimately means, you guessed it, no more road trips to UT San Antonio to see his son. But Frank's team is getting overworked, they're stressed out, and it doesn't take a propulsion engineer to see that Frank and his team aren't happy. And this also means the chances of missing defects might go up, overworked and stressed out inspectors might tend to miss things, and that's not good for his company, but it's also not good for any of us. Now, luckily for Frank, about that same time, my team was able to design a new digital solution for Frank's team that lets them save about an hour off of every job each week. And we do that by automating some of their manual processes. So now Frank and his team are able to knock out an extra set of parts each week by using this new tool. And Frank doesn't have to worry about working overtime anymore. So we're saving Frank and his team about 3,000 man hours every single year. And I bet you know what Frank did that first weekend that we released the software. That's right, he and his wife, they hopped in their Harley, they drove up to San Antonio to see their son. So how do you feel? Were you rooting for Frank? Did you feel anything when I talked about having to work overtime or not being able to see his son? Were you relieved when Frank was finally able to hop in his Harley and drive up to San Antonio again? I hope you were. Let's go through Frank's story to get a sense for how I use some of the techniques that we talked about a bit ago and how I applied them here. Get a sense for how you might use them for yourself. So great stories are universal. I think everybody can relate to Frank. He was committed to hard work. He applied himself. He worked his way up from the lowly third shift to leading an entire team. I talked about how important Frank's job was because he was inspecting and repairing parts for the airplane engines that power flights that we are all likely to be taking. And I talked about the love for his family. You know, whether whether you have kids or not, we likely all have somebody in our life that we care deeply about and we want to see often, right? So this was something that everybody can kind of relate to, I think. Great stories have a character to root for. So obviously, Frank was our main character here. Frank is based off of one of the main personas from some of the previous work that I did. And the story about Frank's son is made up, but it's based off of real people working at real shops who have real families and real responsibilities. And I use my personas from that previous work to build this character for the story. Great stories appeal to our deepest emotions. And like I said, setting up a universal situation of seeing a loved one on a regular basis and then suddenly. Ripping them away, not being able to see them is a painful thing, right? And I think you can empathize with the stress that Frank was under, the hard deadlines, the long hours, the stress of not being able to enjoy your family or your favorite activity. And unless you're a heartless bastard, I bet you felt something when I said Frank couldn't see his son on the weekends anymore. I hope you felt the stress when I said Frank lost half of his team. And I hope you empathize with him when you heard he had to start doing overtime and work more hours, still being required to produce the same amount of work. Great stories are surprising and unexpected. And I'll be honest, sometimes this one's a little challenging to talk about when we talk about case studies. I think a lot of the the times solutions in our UX work tend to be obvious if we've done the right research. And I would say, though, that often you can explain your work in a way that makes your solution seem somewhat surprising or unexpected. And I talked about the notch and how the dynamic island flipped the, the constraint of the notch in its head. And in the case of Frank, we were able to automate some of these processes. The timing was lucky, and everything worked out for Frank and his team in the end. And maybe it's not an M. Night Shyamalan twist, but that's what we have to work with. Great stories are simple and focused. In all, that story about Frank was only about two and a half minutes. It wasn't that long. But I was able to tell you quite a bit about Frank and the work that we did and the importance of the work that we did, and I didn't get into the gritty details of how we did anything. But you were able, I I hope at least, to get the point that the work that we did was impactful and it helped to improve not only Frank's life, but also helped to improve the business too. We saved 3,000 man hours. Now, sure, that's good for Frank, but it's also great for the company's bottom line. And great stories have a structure. So let's look at the story spine again through the lens of Frank's story. Once upon a time, there was Frank and his team. And every day, Frank and his team inspected and repaired jet engine parts. One day, COVID hit and Frank lost half his team. Because of that, Frank and his team were overworked and stressed out. Because of that, Frank couldn't see his son and the chances of defects went up. Until finally, my team released some software to help improve shop floor processes. And ever since then, Frank and his team are able to inspect and repair more parts in a shorter amount of time. Now this sounds like a really bad bedtime story, but you can see how this was an outline for the story that I told earlier. It isn't compelling, there isn't much details, but it helps to think about the story before you start writing it to make sure that you touch on some of those important things that we've already discussed. Great stories have a purpose. So why was this story so important? I hope you caught a few of the things that I talked about in the story. It was somewhat subtle, so let's take a look at them. I talked about how we all fly on planes that have engines that Frank and his team have helped to repair. I made a point to mention that Frank and his team help us get home safely. I talked about how Frank and his team are overworked and stressed out. I talked about how this can impact defects or escapes, which could ultimately lead to a very tragic situation on an airplane. And this wasn't directly stated, but obviously this situation puts us all at risk. You, me, your family, my family, and anybody who flies on these planes. So it was critical that my team get this software to the shops that helped to automate these processes so that Frank and his team weren't so overworked. And the mission of the company that I work at is we lift people up and we bring them home safely. And I can't think of a more impactful purpose than that. All right, so hopefully you can see that this storytelling technique works. But how can you use it? Well, I think you can use these concepts anywhere, really. You can use them with stakeholders. And it's especially helpful when you're trying to sell an idea to a stakeholder, when you're trying to convince executives that you need more money that you need to do research, use these concepts to help build empathy for users to stress the benefit of the feature or the solution that you're discussing. These techniques will also help to keep those with a short attention span engaged the entire meeting. And that's right, executives, I'm talking to you. This technique is useful when you're, when you're doing design handoffs or in sprint planning, when you're showing this to the engineering team who will build the feature. Now, hopefully you're not waiting until the handoff to explain all this to the team Hopefully you're doing it before, but you can use this technique to build empathy with your team to stress the importance of building the feature like you designed it. You can minimize the discrepancies by reinforcing the problems behind the solutions, and your team might be less likely to deviate from your designs if you've stressed why it was so important. And this technique is really helpful when you're writing case studies for your portfolio or going over your work in an interview. Use these techniques to keep recruiters and hiring managers engaged and interested until the very end. Plus, being able to use storytelling, I think, is an important skill that a lot of hiring managers will want to see, and this is a great way to sell yourself. So how can we improve our storytelling abilities? Well, first, we need to know our audience. And at work, this might be one of the most significant things to remember. Who are you talking to? Are you talking to developers, product managers, stakeholders, executives, other designers? If you're talking to executives, maybe you don't want to get too far in the weeds. Keep it high level and make it short and sweet. If you're talking to developers, maybe you can get a little bit more technical. Try to avoid industry buzzwords that your audience may not know. Try to make it relatable to whoever you're talking to. If your audience can't follow you into the weeds, then don't go into the weeds. And remember that how you tell the story might change depending on who you're talking to. Some of those points might change depending on who you're talking to. In my example before about Frank... Not to say executives are cold, heartless bastards, but they probably don't care as much that Frank has to work some overtime. What they care more about might be the defects, might be the escapes. So make sure you know who you're talking to and speak to the things that they care about. Use your established personas and your pain points. So you've already got characters with interesting problems. Your personas, use them. Most of the time, your story will be about the persona and their challenges. And hopefully you've already got some artifacts that you can use to reinforce the pain points as leave-behinds. If you're creating a bunch of personas and you're leaving them in a share drive for no one to look at ever again, all that work is just going to waste. So make sure you're using your personas. Next, write it down and practice. And the worst thing that you can do is try to do this on the fly. Chances are very good that you'll skip something or you'll waste all your time talking about one point or another and you'll lose your audience. So write down an outline, make sure it has all those points from above. And once you do this, practice. Practice out loud, practice in a mirror. Then try practicing with some teammates. Record yourself, watch it back, take notes about what worked and what didn't. The chances are good that you'll catch a lot of things that you didn't realize you were doing, like the filler words or the high-rise terminal that we talked about in the last episode. Your solution should have a supporting role. Remember that your solution isn't the main character, but it should definitely be a part of the story if you've already figured out the solution. So it's not all about Your solution, but make sure that you talk about how your solution has helped your main characters overcome whatever challenge they were facing. Now, obviously, this only applies once you've actually found the solution. So, maybe in a case study. But if you're presenting your story to stakeholders, maybe to provide money for research to understand a solution, make the problem the supporting role. And use vocal warmth and confidence cues. In the last episode, we talked about cues by Vanessa Van Edwards. Use things like vocal variability, emotion, maybe hand gestures volume control, warmth cues, all these things to make your story interesting and engaging. So before I get out of here, I want to stress something. Uh, The people on your team have a lot to worry about already. What is at the top of your priority list will most likely not be their top priority. And as UX designers, our job is to advocate for the users. And one of the most important jobs that we have is to represent the user as our teams are making decisions. And it's up to us to build the empathy and share it and inspire our teams to want to build the best possible software that solves the user's problems. And if we aren't building empathy for our users, no one else on the team will. We have to remember, we can't build all of this software and solve all of these problems alone. And if we can't sell these awesome ideas that we come up with to our teams, our users won't see the benefit. And if the users don't see any benefit, what was the point of doing any of that work? Well, all right, y'all, that's it for me for today. I hope I helped to start you on your journey of amazing storytelling. Have you already tried any of these techniques? And if so, how are they working out for you? I'd love to hear. Let me know what you think on LinkedIn or shoot me an email at hello at And If you like what you heard today, don't forget, like or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you feel like you're getting some out of the show, I'd love it if you left a five-star review. That would help me out so much. And if you know somebody who might find any of this stuff useful, why don't you tell a friend? That'd be fantastic. Sign up for the newsletter. Check out all our past episodes at beyonduxdesign.com. And I hope you keep coming back for more great UX tips from Beyond UX Design. Until next time, remember, you're more than a designer because there's so much more to UX than design. I'll see you around. Take care, y'all.